Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to another Headlines episode. As a friendly reminder on these Headlines episodes, they're a little bit different. We are covering four environmental conscious consumer stories that are in the news right this second. We're doing three of them and then a feature story after the break. So let's waste no time. Let's get into headline number one, which is the big story of the week. It is, of course, the wildfires that are burning in the Canadian province of Alberta. Wildfires are not new to Alberta, and they're not new at this time of year. March 1st to October 31st is wildfire season. But this year is different because a large volume of fires in the forests have come early, and they have been extra extensive. The province did declare a state of emergency this week, and what makes these fires that are happening right now in Alberta so curious is that there have already been 412 wildfires in Alberta, And we're only two months into wildfire season. 412 fires is an unusually high number for May. As of Tuesday, about 24,000 people were out of their homes. There were 88 active wildfires burning across 1 million acres. And so in general, wildfires in the western parts of this continent, these fires are growing larger They're spreading faster, and they're reaching higher elevations than they were previously. Previously, these higher elevations were too wet and too cool to have fires, but there has been an abundance of dry fuel, thanks to droughts and thanks to heat waves. Of course, dry trees, dry grass, dead pine needles, etc., anything else on the bottom of the forest floor, it is kindling for a wildfire. Some experts argue that now is the time to change our mindset when it comes to wildfires. We fight wildfires, don't we? But fighting implies that there's a winner and a loser. We don't fight other weather events, other extreme weather events. We don't fight earthquakes. We don't fight hurricanes. Instead, we mitigate the risks associated with earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, heat waves, etc. And so perhaps it's time to focus less on firefighting and instead shift our collective mindset to mitigating the risks of this extreme event that is indeed causing them to worsen. Next up, we're moving to the Gulf of Mexico. We're talking about all of those unplugged drilling platforms offshore. The first offshore drilling platform in the Gulf of Mexico off the coast of Louisiana went up 85 years ago. Fast forward to today, 2023, and there are more than 14,000 abandoned and unplugged wells in the Gulf. These unplugged wells are at risk of leaking and spilling. Now, why not just plug them, you may ask, plug them and mitigate that risk? Well, a new study published this week found that it will take $30 billion to fill and plug all of these wells. $30 billion with a B. Let's back up for a moment and talk about the consequences associated with not plugging these unused wells. Number one, There are raised risks that oil and other pollutants will leak into the ocean, will travel to shore, will smother and destroy wetlands on the coast. All those sensitive marshes in particular along the Gulf Coast could be 
particularly susceptible. And number two, wells that are not properly plugged, by the way, wells are often plugged with concrete. If they're not plugged properly, and if certainly if they're not plugged at all, they can also leak significant amounts of methane into the atmosphere. Methane, as a friendly reminder, is an extremely potent greenhouse gas that contributes to climate change. Now, extreme weather, of course, increases the likelihood that such spills occur. In the Gulf in particular, these abandoned wells and platforms and pipelines are vulnerable to extreme weather. How about Hurricane Ida that hit the Louisiana coast with winds of about 150 miles an hour back in 2021? That extreme weather event that may have been due to global warming and climate change set off oil spills that were detectable from space. Now, why aren't they plugged? Why isn't anybody plugging these wells? Under federal and state rules, oil and gas companies are indeed responsible for plugging their own unused wells. However, oil and gas drilling is or tends to be a boom and bust profession in which you go in, you extract a lot, you take a lot, perhaps you go bankrupt, and then you're forgotten about. That happens a lot in the oil and gas industry. And so these operators, if they've gone bankrupt, they're not plugging their wells. Now, interestingly enough, if or when there is a spill, any major company that is still in existence that had once previously owned the well that leaked will be responsible to pay for the cleanup. So let's say Shell once previously owned a well and then the well ended up leaking. Shell would be on the hook to pay for the damage caused by the leak. It seems very retroactive, in my opinion. Why are we not just plugging the wells so that we don't have these major and catastrophic spills? It's likely because the federal government does not have $30 million to plug up all these offshore wells. Stay tuned. Next up, we're discussing another new report released this week, which has to do with the amount of land that renewable technologies need. Here's a hint. It's a lot of land if we're going to meet our ambitious climate goals. So the only way we have a prayer to meet our ambitious emissions goals is by replacing natural gas and coal with solar and wind on the large scale. All the while and simultaneously, we're going to be doubling electricity production, right? Electrify everything. But building enough of a renewable infrastructure that will support our way of life is an absolutely major endeavor that will likely take an awful lot of time. I heard the task being compared to the creation of the interstate highway system with regard to complexity, difficulty, and time concerns. And so the new study that was released just yesterday found that the current way of building renewables won't work. The way we're currently doing it, business as usual, is that wind and solar farms are built haphazardly with little planning towards the big picture. Solar farm here, wind farm here. If we continue on that path, that path would require 266,410 square miles of land in order to meet our energy requirements as a society. That area, 266,000 miles to fit all the solar panels and wind turbines, 
plus the batteries to store the electricity from the solar panels, those square miles, that's the size of Texas. So the point of this study that we're highlighting today is that we cannot keep haphazardly building wind here, solar there. Doing this is not going to meet our goals. We need to build smarter, and the study offers a few suggestions as to how to do that. Number one, putting solar on rooftops is not enough, and it's not going to cut it, and it's not going to help us meet our goals. Number two, it would behoove us to not build on productive farmland. Instead, we should look for abandoned fields, rehabilitated mines, landfills, hazardous waste sites, all these places in which you can't build houses or office buildings, but you could build, let's say, a wind farm. Number three, in certain farms where fruits and vegetables are grown, fruits and vegetables need a lot of sun, right? Eastern Washington, Central Valley of California, parts of Colorado, These places could dual as both farms for food and solar panels if we're smart about it. And number four, and this is the most important in my opinion, is that renewable infrastructure demands large swaths of rural land. Yet conservative Republicans who are among the most skeptical about renewable energy they're most likely to live in these large swaths of rural land. So we really need to get conservative Republicans on board if we actually want to meet our emissions reduction goals. So we're going to take our ad break. And when we come back, we're going to head on over to Norway, where the electric vehicle future has already arrived. We're going to take a look at how EVs in Norway are going. I'll see you in a minute. Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coastofmaine.com. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. 
Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Mother's Day is around the corner and I have the best gift idea for you. Hold on to your hats. It's mylifeinabook.com. Every week, My Life in a Book will send your mom a question via email. They will compile all of your mom or the mom in your life's answers and create a legacy keepsake book. The book becomes something you and future generations can treasure forever. I gave both my mother and my mother-in-law my life in a book, and they've already started responding to the prompts. When my mother-in-law received her first prompt, she said, oh my goodness, what a thoughtful gift. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to give thoughtful gifts. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day, mylifeinabook.com, and use code SUSTAINABLE for 10% off today. We're back. We're on to our feature story today, which is the EV future in Norway. If you want to know what a future with electric cars on the mass scale looks like, look no further than Norway. I mentioned before on a previous headlines episode that here in the United States, about 8 to 10% of all new cars sold at the moment are electric. But in Norway, about 80% of new cars sold are battery-powered. Even better, the country will end the sale of internal combustion engine cars in just two years, in 2025. So I think it's safe to say that Norway is a few years ahead of us, for sure, maybe a decade ahead of us in terms of the adoption of EVs on the grand scale. And if you're wondering what life looks like, whether there's been any positive changes, any negative ones. Well, here we are. I'm going to list out the positives. And then, of course, there are as well negatives. I'll read those off as well. So let's start with the positives. The air in Norway's capital city is measurably cleaner, specifically levels of nitrogen oxides Those byproducts of burning gasoline and diesel, nitrogen oxide causes smog, asthma, a bunch of other stuff. Those levels have fallen sharply as electric vehicle ownership has risen. The capital is also quieter because those noisier gasoline and diesel vehicles are not running as much. At service areas, picture this, service areas, so you drive off the highway to a service area, Charging stations far outweigh gas pumps. What a sight, huh? And in terms of unemployment, that's a criticism I hear a lot. People will be unemployed, mechanics will be unemployed, etc. There has not been a mass unemployment among gas station workers. There has not been a rise in unemployment among auto mechanics. Even though EVs don't need oil changes, and they tend to require less maintenance than the gasoline-burning cars, they still break down. And on top of that, there are still plenty of gasoline cars that need maintenance. So no mass unemployment. 
The electrical grid in Norway has not collapsed. That's another criticism. You know, EVs will use way too much electricity. And what I find neat as well is now that the majority of cars have been electrified, Norway is targeting construction. Contractors who bid on public projects have a better chance of winning their bid if they use equipment that runs on electricity. So picture an excavator with a power cord that's plugged into an electrical outlet. That's cool, right? Now, it's not all great news. There are indeed three negatives that have come out of this switch so far. Of course, the first two drawbacks are ones that you've likely already thought of. Number one, of course, is the availability of charging stations. Residents of apartments say that they have a hard time sometimes finding a place to plug in their car. Another negative, of course, is that during the summer months when everybody's vacationing and everybody's traveling to their vacation destination by car, they go to the service station off the highway and sometimes the line to recharge their batteries in their cars backs up off the down ramp. There's long lines to recharge their car. And then finally, the third drawback, which you may not have thought about, is that the capital's air has unhealthy levels of microscopic particles generated partly by the abrasion of tires on asphalt. Electric vehicles do tend to be much heavier than their gas-guzzling counterparts, and so there's more friction on the road, and therefore more of these microscopic particles shedding off as cars drive down the road. So I wanted to put this story in the feature spot today because I believe it's smart to look ahead to a country that's doing way better than us, see what's working well, and also keep an eye out for what's not working so well so that we can course correct, we can prepare for it as we here in America begin our mass cultural societal shift towards electric vehicle adoption. So that's it for today. I'll see you on Tuesday. Don't miss Tuesday's episode, everybody. If you have children, don't miss it. We're talking about big tech and the commercialization of our children. I will see you then. I hope you all have an amazing weekend. If you are a mother, happy Mother's Day. You are indeed a rock star. I'll see you Tuesday and take care.